1 Peter 1 To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and strengthening by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Keep in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, so now for a little while you may, have to, you, may, you, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who speak of grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when you predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they are not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have, been, who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As, an obedient, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil that desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Thanks, Gary. Okay, before Paul comes with... Well, let me tell you a story about hope. Years ago, I was the lead singer in a Christian rock band and we had dreams of making it. We wanted to play to hundreds, thousands, someday, hopefully. Uh, and one gig had everything. They had fancy lights, they had t-shirts, they even had a support band. But when it came time for us to play, there was no crowd. Yep. The support band were the only ones down the front. It was a huge, monumental flop. Now, not all of us have uh, stories of monumental flops, but all of us have stories of hope. Uh, hope shapes lives. Back in my hometown, there are two very different schools. There's Dapto, sunny Dapto High, uh, where the students have hope that they will get a good HSC mark, and um, so they put their effort in, and it all turns out. At the other school, Kanahooka High, it's a low socioeconomic area. And they have little to no hope that their present circumstances will change or that they will get a good HSC mark, and so they don't try at all, for the most part. Hopelessness 
can be paralyzing. There was a scientific study done on long-term marriages uh, and found that the respondents primarily hoped that the marriages would last. And that gave them a stable base to come back to through sick and sin. Hope can be fuel for perseverance. See, hope is a powerful thing and sometimes when we have no hope, then we can feel trapped. There's a theologian and author called J.I. Packer, and he says it like this. He says, as God, has made us, as God has made us with a purpose, so he has made us creatures for whom hope is life. And whose lives become living death when we have nothing good to look forward to. We are creatures who thrive on hope. And we become like the living dead when we have none. And hope isn't just subjective either, is it? You can't just hope in things which don't have hope in them. It's, you've got to be wise to put your hope on things that are worthy. Would it be wise to put your hope on the Tigers winning against the Sea Eagles? Or Cronulla winning against the Sea Eagles? Or perhaps St. George? Yeah, no. It's, it's probably not a wise thing to do. See, we have to put the, our hope in the right thing. Have you put your hope in the right thing? What do you hope for? What do you dream about? And what do you want? Or maybe you've stopped dreaming. Maybe you think you're hopeless. Maybe you've just lost hope. If you're living with no real hope, if the best you're going to get in this world is the pleasure and experience that come across your way, then listen to the Word of God in 1 Peter. Tonight you can receive something that you could never earn by yourself. You could never earn this, which can bring you far more joy than anything on this earth. If if you've set your hope on the wrong thing, then listen carefully, you could be saved from more than just the, 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 the heartache of crushed dreams, you could be saved to a life which is shaped by the gospel. And if you struggle with anxiety, day in and day out, living with the worst case scenario, then be comforted. Because uh, what we have here is a message of true hope that brings peace. Hope will change the way you live. You, what you can have is that exuberant unstoppable, intoxicating and energising hope of joy with Jesus. And from the book of 1 Peter, God's words for us today, we will find that we have a new identity which gives us hope and transforms us into the likeness of Christ. But first, let me pray and we'll thank God for this hope. Dear Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. Thank you for bringing us together tonight and for Jesus Christ, our true hope. By your Holy Spirit, help us to listen to your word, convict us of our sins and help us to repent. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to get into the introduction to 1 Peter, but first I've enlisted the help of the bard himself. So here we go. All the world's a stage, all its men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. 
And one man, in his time, plays many parts. Shakespeare's As You Like It. Jacques is a disillusioned satirical observer, and he makes a really good observation that our identity is closely linked to the story we are in and the character that we play. Let's get into 1 Peter, verse 1, if you have your Bibles open. Peter is written, 1 Peter is written to the persecuted church on the fringes of the Roman Empire. They've received the story of the gospel, of Jesus' victory over sin and death, and they've believed, and like us, they love Jesus and meet together every week to demonstrate that love by service. Like us, they're surrounded by a, a dominant cultural story which hates Jesus and hates the gospel. This story has been primarily about God from the beginning. So let's see what God has done. Verse 2, God has given us grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 3, God has also had mercy on us in Jesus Christ. So out of God's great generosity, he did not give us what we deserve, but instead judged Christ and gave us new life with him in his resurrection. Did you know that that is our story too? We have the same story as those Christians from long ago because we have Christ in common. His story is our story. But day in and day out, we don't necessarily see ourselves in Jesus' story. We look in the mirror and we wonder who we are. We have an obsession over identity and almost by default we try and define ourselves by the shoes we buy, the clothes we wear, the house we live in and the car we drive. In our culture, identity identity can be transformed by something like a gym session or a makeover or a profile pic. You know this. But sometimes we just want to feel in control of our identity and our destiny Often, we're enslaved by it. For example, you might play the funny guy, but you just want to be taken seriously. You might play the high achiever, but you just want to be accepted. Have you ever asked someone to take a photo down from social network because you, well, maybe you just didn't wish the the camera was there? Do you want a different you? Often in our dissatisfaction, we go from identity to identity to identity. Who were we one year ago? And what were we defined by? What about two years ago? What about five years ago? What about ten years ago? We try to change who we appear to be. Uh, But in the end, we can't. The good news of this passage is that you have a new identity, a new identity. Story. So like Shakespeare said, we get to play a new role in a new story, but this one is the one that we were created for. This role eclipses all other roles. This is your true identity. So let's go verse 3. Let's pick up the family language. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has given us new birth into a living hope. And then in verse 4, we've been given an inheritance that can never perish, 
spoil or fade. And then verse 5, God extends his protection, his shielding around his family, around his children. We are in an entirely new set of relationships. We are surrounded by God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And we're no longer self-defined individuals cut off from those, those around us, but instead we are connected to God and others by God himself. The second thing about our identity is that we follow the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our example. Christ suffered and was raised to glory and eternal life. That's in verses 11, 10 to 12. We too will suffer and be raised to glory with him. We no longer live to please ourselves with gold or beautiful things as the rest of the book goes on about, but we live to please our Heavenly Father just like Christ. You can be transformed. Our culture desperately desires this. You can have a new identity, but this is the role you were created for. You can receive the grace and the mercy of God and then be transformed by him just like the recipients of this letter were so long ago. They received the gospel and believed. And then they walked in the footsteps of Jesus Christ in discipleship, knowing that in the end, despite all the suffering, that they would be raised to glory and everlasting joy with him. So you can be transformed, not into a you that is immune from suffering and hardship but one that knows that joy of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. And this is our God, the one who is faithful even beyond death. So, if you have received the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is yours. You have this new identity. And so we need to go through the rest of the letter. What is it that Peter says we need to do with it? In light of our new identity, what do we do? When we personally suffer through financial hardship, relationship breakdown, mental illness, uh, the death of a loved one, our heart longs for Christ to return. It's in the suffering of this world that we see that there is no hope other than in God. And our attention is drawn to when Jesus will return to bring judgment and salvation. But we aren't always consistent. When times are good, when we're comfortable and when we're happy, do we really long for Jesus to return? It's New Year's Eve, 1999, and my wife, Beth, or my future wife, is 13. She's sitting with her family, waiting for the fireworks to begin. She's heard a rumour that maybe Jesus would return at the stroke of midnight to end the world. And she's terrified. It wasn't the prospect of Armageddon that terrified her is rather the thought of the world ending without her ever being kissed. Maybe you just hope that before Jesus comes back, you will finish your degree, you will get a job, you will date, get married, have sex, have more sex. Then, maybe buy a house, travel Europe, watch your favourite TV show, Get old, not too old, retire, maybe travel to Europe, die in your sleep. Then 
maybe Jesus can return. Or maybe there is a special experience or a special pleasure that you're just not willing to give up for Jesus. Do you want those things more than you want God? We know that's not what it means to be a disciple. To love these things more than God is idolatry and these idols threaten your true hope in Jesus. We need to repent of this idolatry, confess our sins and he is faithful and will forgive us. But as we press on, we've got to remember our new identity. We have been adopted into God's family and that changes everything. Our new identity is tied up in the story of Christ and changes not just uh, what we do while we live, but also our hope for the future. Hope really does shape our lives. Let's pick it up from verse 13. Therefore. Someone once noted that when you see a therefore, you've got to check what it is there for. And this one tells us, tells us that there is really good reason for what comes after. By giving us a new identity through our salvation in Christ, we must act according to our new identity. Therefore, we must prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Prepare your minds for action. Get ready because the Christian faith requires serious thought about what you do. We need to prepare to act in a way which reflects Christ because it's in his story that we live and that we have life. We need to prepare for the role that you're going to play for the rest of your life. Be self-controlled. Self-control expresses that we're not controlled by our sinful desires but instead that we are God's people. He bought us at a price and what a terrible price it was. So many of my friends and I, we use uh, internet accountability and filtering software. Uh, We do this because we want to be self-controlled in our use of the internet. So what do you need help in? Do you need an external structure to help you? Call on your church brother, your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you to do that. Prepare for the role. And set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. The grace of Christ is a real, it's the only true hope. He's the only one who is good, the only one who is faithful, and he's the only one who can give you the true joy that you seek. We need to be on guard against things which are competing for our hope. They're on the front of your favorite magazines and they're on your mind as you go to bed. It's a battle for our hearts and minds in which we must remind ourselves, I'm God's. I'm part of God's family. That's who I am. So be prepared to work hard to keep your hope fully set on Jesus and then keep everything else in its place. Finally, verse 14, if you're still following. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in everything you do, in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. 
History lesson. Saint Simeon was a monk in the 4th century who spent 37 years up a 50-foot pole because he didn't want to be distracted from his daily devotions. Legit. He spent his spare time preaching Christ, mediating disputes, and writing letters between kings and queens. To be holy is to be set apart. Is sitting on top of a pillar for the rest of your life what Peter means when he says for you to be holy? We can commend St. Simeon for his humility, his devotion to God, his outstanding moral character and his witness to his contemporaries, but when you look at the Bible, you see that Peter meant something different when he spoke of holiness. He meant an everyday holiness with Jesus as our example. So in chapter 2, later on, uh, we, we see that he says that we need to rid ourselves of all hatred, malice, deceit, envy and slander and hypocrisy because that wasn't the example that Jesus gave. And then in chapter 3, he, uh, he says that we need to demonstrate the love of God, the compassion of God, the humility of God and God's willingness to bless instead of paying back because that's the example that Jesus gave us. We need to look less like our culture and more like our saviour. And you might be thinking, that holiness sounds hard. Yep, it is. What I've spoken about, preparation, a constant battle of our heart and mind and self-control, these aren't easy. The bar has been set high. But remember verse 2 of this passage. You have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with, with his blood. With that help, even we can be holy when we live by the pattern Jesus gave us. You may be thinking, I'm saved, I go to church, isn't that enough? Yes, Jesus saved you, but that's not where he's going to lead you. We weren't just saved from something. We were saved to something. It's not just Sunday services. After rescuing Israel out of Egypt, God drew them to himself and showed them what it meant to be holy. Jesus saved you and he's shown you what it means to be holy. He's given you his Holy Spirit so you can be holy. We're his, we're all his, entirely from top to toe. And our lives are ones which ought to give him the glory from here to the end of eternity. And you may be thinking, I'm stretched. I'm stretched as it is. How can I give more? You might be sitting here with rent to make, work to do when you get home, assignments to do, a HSC to sit. But I want to take you back to the start where that new story changes everything. It changes our view of our world. In fact, we see ourselves no longer in the moment, but in the long view of eternity to participate in Christ's victory. In his story, we will, we will still feel anxious over our work and our deadlines, but we have a hope which is greater. 
in the end, we do not expect terror, but joy. As we take comfort from our faithful God who loves us. So the story which had its beginnings in Christ's death now careers towards its end with Jesus' return. And holiness and hope are the the ways that we uh, improvise in the play between now and when Jesus returns. At my old church, one of the ways I lived out my hope and uh, my identity was to disciple a bunch of young people uh, because I knew that their hope needed to be on the grace of Jesus Christ to be revealed. So as a part of that, I ran a social experiment in which five youths lived each day for one week as though Jesus is coming tomorrow. That was the catchphrase. And they were to live every moment in their prayer. And the way they're related to their peers and doing their homework. Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I asked them to... Whoa, here we go. I asked them to write their reflections about their week so we could share in the diary at the end of the week. And uh, this is what I found. For some... I love this story. For some... It was like they'd put on Christian goggles for the first time in their life. They were more attentive listeners and they loved their friends deeply. The suffering of those around them was acute and they found opportunities to pray for and with those around them and they found it easy, surprisingly. The beauty of creation was magnified and their logs were filled with uh, thankfulness and appreciation of God's good gifts. They were surprised at how very little their schedules changed. Day day to day, they went to school, they came home, dinner with the family, did their homework, went to bed. Same as normal. The world looks so different, but also the same. Bedtime was so different though. There was anticipation, excitement, because tomorrow they would see Jesus. Tomorrow was the day. Everything had been coming down to these few moments, these final hours, and in the darkness of their roof, they reminded themselves of the true joy of Jesus' return. And that wasn't just a social experiment, is it? This is the reality that we live in. This is how you prepare your minds for action. Jesus might come back tomorrow and he is bringing the grace of God and eternal life. Will you let that reality shape your now? Will you live this week, next week, and every week from here on out with that thought at the front of your mind, the hope of Jesus' return, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. So listen carefully. This hope does not require you to change your occupation. I'm not inviting you to go to Bible college, to become a missionary, become a minister. It is everyday holiness 
where your hope is in Jesus Christ. It's about a change of attitude, a change of heart, a change of behaviour. Do not resist God anymore. Remove those idols from your life and instead put Jesus as the hope, your one and only true hope. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer together, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will you mean it? Will you pray in your heart, yes, may your will be done in my life first. Let's pray that now, using the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.